Welcome back to episode 34 of Fret Buzz the Podcast. Today we're going to get into part two of synthesizers and sampling. In today's conversation, we're going to get into the music of Stranger Things from the synth-oriented electronic band Survive, a little bit about Michael Jackson, the evolution of MTV and VH1, a garage band, and the modern era of instant gratification. Uh, we get a little bit into mixing and your environment and how that plays a role in terms of your final product. We talk a little bit about our live performance, and finally we wrap it up with the idea of creating your own jazz band and creating your own samples over top of it. Be sure to check out Panther God and Paul Abdul at Bandcamp.com. And without further ado, let's jump into episode 34, part two, all about synthesizers and sampling on Fret Buzz, the podcast. You want to talk about Stranger Things? Yeah. The show? Can we? Yeah. The That intro, that song, the theme song? Um, I just mean in the sense that people are really getting into... Um, you know, once again, the sound of the 80s and, and the interest in synthesizers has, I think, spiked as a result of that show. And so many people seeing it. Um, the guys that made this, this all the music, pretty interesting thing because we booked them for a festival uh, we do every year called Moogfest. And we first booked them, I think it was like 2014, and 60 to 70 people showed up for that for that particular show. Um, keep in mind there are other events happening simultaneously, so people probably had to choose between like Kraftwerk and this unknown band called Survive. Well, we booked them, we booked them a couple other times since then, and since the show had blown up, and like 3,000 plus people show up to see them now, and it's sold out always. And um, it, they're using a ton of analog hardware. The first time we booked them, they drove up from Austin, Texas in a van. Mm. And they, they had all this vintage stuff from like the 70s and 80s. So probably $20,000 worth of synths that, let's just say, can easily break down and go out of tune. And, you know, kind of a risky move to bring old gear out like oh, that. Yeah, absolutely. Huge. <laughs> yeah. Risk. Especially all the way from Texas. And yeah. they probably weren't getting paid a ton because nobody knew who they were at that point. Right. Um, so they played and their thing is they play it all by hand live. So they use some sequencing for sure. Hmm. Uh, but they're also fantastic players. And they recreated kind of your Stranger Things sound live for us here in the store. And I thought, man, these, these guys are legit. They really, really know their stuff. And uh, to see how the show has exploded is just really cool. It's inspired me a lot, too. Interesting. Yeah, I no, no idea. But it, it makes sense. You know, you have, you know, Stranger Things brings back the nostalgia it makes people re-interested in that era. You've got, it's like what Taylor Swift did with little girls and the acoustic guitar. Like so many little girl students come in and they're like, I saw Taylor Swift playing the guitar and I want to do it. You know, it's yeah. pop culture has a huge influence on what people want to learn. I and mean, yeah, they even totally. said like, didn't, 
like the acoustic guitar was becoming with all the electric guitars of the 70s and 80s the acoustic guitar was falling out of fashion and then mm. like didn't eric clapton release that unplugged album in 1992 and yep like kind of re-spurred a, a lot of acoustic players and nirvana too that unplugged album like, yeah so yeah yeah big big for me yeah mtv was doing that unplugged series yeah which i miss what happened to mtv jeez oh, <laughs> yeah now it's like dating naked and a bunch of other ridiculous shows <laughs> yeah. you even know the shows i have no idea what it is i, <laughs> I, I haven't even MTV. yeah i haven't checked in on mtv in over a decade probably no no i had an but, old roommate who used to watch that dating naked it's ridiculous oh so <laughs> it is the thing i thought that was a joke no it's it's for real that's how far how far mtv is fallen yeah. wow there's yeah. nothing musical about music television yeah. same with vh1 same thing mm -hmm. yeah well and all those shit. so i used to as a kid when i lived in naples i had almost no access to music other than the radio which was horrible for the most part and M mtv so mtv was a big deal for me and that that's how i found out about music and almost exclusively for better or worse, you know. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, how the times are changing. Oh, yeah. You got YouTube yeah. and every little kid can post their, every kid and adult can post anything and now it's just oversaturated. Yeah. It's like um, anybody can get it up there, but nobody's going to see it. Yeah, that is its own problem. Um, hidden, hidden amongst the masses now. Yeah, it's so true. Um, I did think of kind of a funny story. So as a kid, you know, uh, I'm talking three years old, Thriller came out and I was just in love with Thriller. That was my album, right? And my dad and I could both agree that it was great. There was nothing else musically we could really agree upon, but Thriller was like that point. And the baseline for Thriller is the sound of the mini Moog, which oh. was the, the first portable synthesizer and the first portable Moog. Um, and who knew that I would be working for the company that makes the mini Moog like 35 years later. Right. But I just knew there was something about the, that record that was so different from what I was hearing. And I think it was that funky bass line as much as it was anything. It was the sound of the synth. Yeah. And of course, I didn't know what a synthesizer was at that point. But right. Thriller is... Actually, the best-selling album worldwide, 43 million copies and counting, but the second best-selling album in the United States. Do you guys know what the first is? Or sorry, the second best? In the United worldwide. States? So, worldwide. Second best worldwide, best-selling album in the United States. Okay. So what's the best-selling worldwide? Thriller. And what's the second best? This is what he's asking. Uh, yeah, but what is it? I don't know. You guys want to guess? <sighs> second best. It must have to do with the synth. I feel like you wouldn't. You wouldn't <laughs> be as excited if. It I were, don't know. I'm not like that the, excited the about it. The Beatles. You're not, you're not that excited about it. It's not the Beatles. It's not Pink Floyd. I was going to say, it's like, I was going to say like Pink or um, Fleetwood Mac has rumors. Um, that's a, that's a great selling album. It's Eagles Greatest Hits Volume okay. 2. Okay. Oh. 
I think Hotel California is on that. Yeah, that would make sense. Um, I'm sure there are scents on that record, but I mean, come on. Thriller, really? You're going to outsell Thriller in the United States? That to me is a surprise for yeah. sure. Yeah. People love the Eagles. I mean, it's just like. Apparently. Well, there's. If you happy. At, yeah. If you look at the. Uh, if you look at the layout of the land, and I, I have this discussion with a lot of people in terms of like politics and whatnot like that, but yeah, uh, a lot of the country is cornfields and a lot yeah. of tre- and a lot of trees, yeah, <laughs> and a lot of farmland. Um, so yeah, the Eagles, it's got that it's got that country hometown kind of sound to it. And yeah, it, it's it's a great sound. Like I remember, yeah, uh, we uh, had a discussion last week joe and i uh about Tom concerts Betty. and yep and uh i saw the eagles second row it was a great concert loved it uh, but yeah absolutely it's got that nice sound to it that you can kind of just connect with which is good yeah well here's another interesting tidbit um off that record billy jean mm-hmm. that was the first time that a black musician for that video was ever on mtv oh yeah when when did billy jean come out Oh boy. Like 82, 83. I mean, right around the time the album did. Um, yeah. So most people were not going to MTV before that. Now, granted, I'm like two and a half or three when it when this thing happened. So I don't remember before that. Hmm. But yeah, apparently it was just white musicians before that. Yeah. Not surprising. Well, whole lot of radio before that man it was, yeah it was all about fm that's yeah where we got, that's where we got all our music yeah, <laughs> yeah. i used yeah. to make mixtapes oh yeah i still have mine nice <laughs> nice <laughs> i got my four, four track here and everything <laughs> yeah yeah that's cool. boxes full yeah uh they're, yeah they're absolutely. fun yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. The See, times they have changed. They have. And you know, I think that is the one thing that's um somewhat been lost is the whole start from the basics, basics. I mean, make a mixtape. People are not really making mixtapes anymore yeah. that much. Um or get like the most basic sampler and make something and you know, now it's like if somebody wants to get started, they go, Mom, I want to do music production. She might come down to the store, buy Ableton Live. Yeah. And now the kid has a studio in his computer. Yeah. You know, so. But what, what I found interesting was I had a kid exactly like that. And the mom asked if I could teach the kid how to do it, how to do music mm-hmm. production. And yeah. Like I had had Aaron actually taught me a lot about using pro tools in the studio and I've had dabbled with garage band and stuff. And so I like, it was like, I give, give the kid an introductory lesson or two to get started with how to do it. And I got more into it and I started staying out in front of the kid and like learning more. And yeah, we were doing garage band, which has all the built in loops. And then I was like, okay, it's time to start. Like I got into Ableton cause I got a free version of Ableton with my, uh, Scarlet Focusrite, mm-hmm. or my Focusrite Scarlet audio interface, and I started like wanting to teach this kid Ableton, and then he just got it in his head. He just wanted a controller, and he was gonna play awesome stuff with this controller. Yeah, and like he didn't understand that the controller does nothing different from the computer. It's just got buttons to play 
your presets or whatever. And like, I think most people don't understand that you can't just make music out of nothing. Like it doesn't yeah. just happen because you have a controller. Right, right. Like, yeah, you can play some drum loops, but you still have to learn like what chords are in order uh, to. Not, yeah. in, I, 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 I understand what you're saying, but not really. <laughs> I mean, you can do a basic I, level of stuff, but right. you're never going to make your own sounding thing. Like, I, well, okay. But at the same time, uh, I mean, like Paul was saying earlier, I want it. I, I want it now. I, I want it to happen right now. So you go out and you get GarageBand and you get a keyboard, you know, you get a plug and play and literally plug and play. You were mentioning in the, in the beginning of the episode, Paul, you know, MIDI. Oh my yeah. gosh. Like <laughs> trying to explain MIDI to somebody and a MIDI controller and trying to get that whole thing set up and mapping and all that. Yeah. Uh, now it's just plug and play. So you have GarageBand and you have a, a keyboard that you just plug into the USB and you go to GarageBand, you drag down a loop and oh, I'm going to hit this key because, oh, there's an already an, you know, arpeggiator on this. That sounds cool. And it's already got this preset, you know, filter on it. Cool. And I'm going to hit this one. Nope, that doesn't sound right that oh that one sounds cool cool now i've got two chords where i don't know anything about music <laughs> but but now i'm gonna hit print set that off to you know youtube and i've got an awesome hit or whatever it is so it's just so easy and accessible nowadays that i love it i love the fact that it is easy and accessible because you can make things really quick um it's it's nice to be able to get ideas out fast and kind of play around with them but at the same time going back to our conversation earlier there is something about the exploration of getting your hands on that piece of hardware or whatever it is there's that process that in my personal opinion that a musician or an artist should go through yeah but yeah i agree um and while it's certainly accessible and direct and fun to just hit a key um trigger a preset on a synth that is literally like the entire song you just hold one key <laughs> right right okay you're you've seen those charts i'm sure about like an artist where at first everything is exciting because well you're making it right mm -hmm. okay so everything is exciting at first and then your ear gets more and more refined so everything is less and less exciting from there and you're trying to inversely build up your skill set so you can counteract that that ear which is becoming more discerning so all of a sudden, it's not enough to just hit one key and have the thing do it for me because everybody else can do that. And that doesn't sound original, right? right. Um, so I think that's what happens to us all. Like when I first got a sampler, I would invite my friends over. I would load seven floppy disks and make them wait there for 20 minutes while <laughs> these floppy disks loaded. I'd be like, I promise you, this is worth the wait. <laughs> right. And then I would... I would hit play and it would be a three note thing with horrible, pro horribly programmed drums. Yeah. And I'd look at my friend's face expecting him to get as excited as I was. And he would go, 
how do I break it to you? You know, right. This right. sucks. Um, right. Or that's completely dissonant. You just sample two records that are not even in the same key or ballpark, you know? Um, so I think this is what happens. And um, that's been my process. That's been my journey is it gets harder and harder for me to trick myself into going, this is good art, you know, mm -hmm. which I think is a positive thing ultimately too. Right. Right. Yeah. I think that being able to enjoy it at the beginning is what people need to be hooked into it. Yeah. I think that it's a positive overall. It's a positive thing for society. If more kids have the chance to try it out and they like it at first, they may stick with it. And as you're saying, like, as they keep doing it, they're going to have to either learn how to get better or it's going to get boring. Right. And I think that's right. a really positive thing that happens. It, you know, it happens to me every day of my life. I get like the better I think I, the better I probably technically get at the guitar or whatever, the less good I think I am in my head. Like, yeah. You know, you know better basically yeah. at a certain point. You just start, um, you realize how much is out there and how much you don't know. And like, I think about myself when I was like 22 playing in a rock band, like I thought I was really good at the guitar, which was yeah. so ridiculous. Like looking back, it's like 10 years later, I'm like, I'm terrible now. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm better than, you know, the general population, but like, I understand how much I don't know and how, where my weaknesses are. And, but that's what makes it exciting. It makes me want to practice. And, you know, if a kid sits down on GarageBand and they're like, this is really fun. Like maybe they can meet somebody like you or one of us that can help guide them towards like, okay, we know you like doing this. How can we right. help support? Yeah, yeah. Support, keep it fun for you. Right. But, but yeah, push you along so that you can actually get good at it and have them create something unique to yourself. Yeah. Well, I think the other thing too to consider is all of the music making process is not fun. That's I don't. True. That's my opinion. Um, I am not a tech person by nature, believe it or not, even though I do it for a living. And music theory was incredibly difficult for me to, on my own, learn basically off the web. And while I consider myself an intermediate, I'm certainly not an expert level uh, music theorist, mm -hmm. but I really take the stand that, yeah, you can use your ear, but it's only going to get you so far. Yes. You know, okay. that's, I, I think that training, ear training is invaluable. Pitch detection is a skill that if you sample is so, so useful, even being able to go, you know, that just doesn't work. That record and that record are not related. Right. Um, or I'll need to, I need to pitch that down, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, all of that training and actually learning how to play instruments is invaluable. And a lot of it is not super fun. So those kids that get into it, that want it all to be a fun roller coaster they typically reach that point where, oh, I've got to learn some math or some science, or I got to practice this thing over and over again. That's kind of what separates the wheat from the, cha the shaft often, yeah. I find. Yeah, it's true. It is. I just wish that they would all 
push through that you know <laughs> but they don't yeah. get that one song down and it will be fun again yeah. electronic music was so relatively obscure when i first started and this is like late 90s right that my conception of how these guys did it and i literally thought they were like wizards and keep in mind this is all on early pcs nobody was even on a mac really at that point no 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 real internet like if they did internet this is the beginning of it right yeah internet wasn't until 1994 Right. So people are very early adopters, might be using it in the late 90s. And your musicians were the same guys who built their own computers. I'm talking IDM music. I'm talking techie electronic music. And what I thought happened was they'd, they'd turn the lights down. They would speak in tongues to the computer. And the computer would generate the music. And they would kind of curate and edit, right? Turns out I wasn't all that far off because generative music in that world is definitely a thing, especially with modular synths. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just thought these guys were like wizards and warlocks. And, and there's, no, there's no guitar playing involved in that, you know? Yeah. Um, little did I know that almost everything I was hearing was being programmed one note at a time processed etc these guys were building their computers from the ground up so there were like 10 people in this in a city the city of miami Mm -hmm. in the late 90s that i considered like true electronic musicians 10 people and now i mean there's probably there's probably thousands of kids making electronic music there oh yeah absolutely it's exploded but the education about it has exploded too with youtube if you want to learn how to do something, get on YouTube, right? You know, yeah. So, oh, yeah. or yeah. take a lesson. Yeah. I, I'm a big fan of taking and giving lessons too. So absolutely. Yeah. yeah. YouTube tends to not have, it doesn't know where you are. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take into account like your previous, previous knowledge or where you're trying to get to. And mm-hmm. you tend to get all this scattered, scattered bits of information that doesn't all connect. And that's where a teacher can, like, I, I like it when my students go to YouTube and they're like, hey, I looked at this. I'm like, great. I'm glad you're taking the initiative. Yes. Let's yeah. let's try to make sense of this with the knowledge that you already had and how you can actually use this. So you didn't just, like, learn this random thing about seventh chords. Like, how do you use seventh chords? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, YouTube. A little bit more on a one-on-one basis. Is yeah. Teachers can do. Yeah, absolutely. Having a there's yeah. nothing that can beat having a an actual human teacher, whether it's on Skype or in real life. Yeah. When I first started, you know, the apprentice thing was still alive and well. And that meant a lot of coffee runs and a lot of uh being somebody's for lack of a better word, like, you know, just assistant or a gopher. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. and I was you know, when I was getting started, I really knew the MPC well. So producers that I wanted to learn from, I would go into the studio and I would chop their samples so oh. that all the, like the manual labor, I was doing it, you right. know, right. And I like, I liked it. I didn't mind. And that's how I learned, you know, and a lot of these guys that I was working with had like major drug problems. Some of them were like, you know, 
had guns and stuff around. And it's just like the things that I put up with to learn just a tiny little bit. Like I wasn't getting a ton and I, I already knew how to operate the machines. Right. I was there to get inside the producer's head who was making big, bigger records than me or better records than me, I thought. Right. And I was like, I would do anything. I was literally like putting my life on the line at times, dealing with scumbags just to get in a little shred of information. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's easy to take for granted what we have access to now. Yeah. The, the wealth of information is incredible. Mm-hmm. I was just going to ask, are you a Pro Tools guy or what do you hear? Yeah, I am. Cool. I went to school for Pro Tools and uh, I've used other things. I've used Reason. I, I actually started out on Cool Edit, you know, many, many years ago. Oh, yeah. Um, doesn't matter, Digital Performer. Uh, there's yeah. a bunch of them out there, but uh, Pro Tools is the one that, you know, it's the industry standard. So I just kind of stick with it. Nice. I see we have the same Mackies. I've got a set of those. Oh, yeah. I love them. I, yeah, I've I've always enjoyed them. Uh, at work, I've got the uh, NS10s, and they're a little brittle, a little a little brighter. Uh, yeah, I, are those yeah. the original? Do you have the original NS10s? NS10s? No, yeah. they're the they're the remodels, the remakes. Yeah. yeah, I've used those. They were, uh, like you said, a little hard on the ears, a little mm-hmm. little brittle, a little break. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I got these. I think probably coming right out of school. And there was like a sale on them. So I was yeah. like, I, mine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can get them used for, I got them for like four or 500. Oh, that's not pair. bad at all. That's yeah. That's not bad at all. Is your studio monitors? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hey, Aaron and I, and I were, I was asking Aaron for advice about that. And yeah. sticking, I'm sticking with my headphones for the time being. Yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. can't. He was like, if you're going to get that, you got to start, you know, thinking about soundproofing and yeah. the room you're in and everything else. And yeah. yeah. Mixing on headphones is a totally different animal. And like I said to you, Joe, I mean, there's a lot more producers who are actually getting, not getting away with it. That's not the right uh, verbiage, but I think that's fair. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, you'll, you'll see more top, um, top selling albums, being produced with producers who are actually using headphones but yes generally you want to do all of that within a room that is treated and that you have a decent pair of monitors um i have a friend he's a bass music producer so edm for lack of a better word more like the trappy stuff But pretty pretty high level. Like he's definitely got the, the technical know how to make big records. Yeah. And I asked him, I'm like, you know, you're on tour all the time. How do you mix low end? And he's got a sub pack, which is a subwoofer you can like wear as a backpack or strap to your seat. And <laughs> really? Yeah, you monitor with your headphones, okay. all the highs, and then your lows are physically right, like felt. yeah. And um, I've used them. They're cool. They're a little tricky because they've got cables that hang out of them. So if you swivel your chair real fast, you can right. like rip one of the cables out. Right, get caught up in it. Yeah. Um, but those are pretty cool. But you know what he told me is he said, despite that fact, I got good at guessing. And I think that kind of sums up, you know, I use a lot of visual meters. Yeah, yeah. But I think over time, I got better and better at guessing. 
because mm. certain things you can't properly hear without all of the treatment, you know, a room that's been like properly addressed in terms of all its issues. Right, right. Certainly, I don't have a treated studio. Yeah. You know, well, so. with any given space, um, you just start to become accustomed to yeah. where the certain nodes um you know fall short or are boosted within any room you're gonna yeah. have that yeah. so if you know that going into it like my little room here like this is a terrible room to mix um really and, for bass oh my goodness yes uh, really because it's such a small compact room yeah uh, and i don't have any uh, bass traps or anything like that so i That's know it. going into this that a lot of my bass is going to be you know bunched up so i have to know that going into it when i mix any kind of bass i have to in here pull away from the base that way when i yeah. go out to a, a car or a stereo system or anything like that that it's not too much yeah um so yeah and plus i have the advantage of going and taking my stuff to work as well which has a, a different kind of studio so i mm. ab things a lot but yeah yeah so if you get to know your room uh, you can kind of know those things going into it the weird thing now for me though is mixing for my computer my laptop speakers mm. oh yeah, yeah like yeah. How is everybody else going to be hearing right. this thing? No bass at all. <laughs> yeah. Ah, I know. You know, it, it's not so much that that drives me crazy. It's the way that the low mids distort. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Drives me crazy. Like, yep. do I just cut those? Do I leave them? You know? Yeah. It's tricky. Yeah, it is. Do you actually create separate mixes for like a where you think people are only going to listen on their cell phone or on their computer no i just try to find a middle ground yeah hmm. yeah i mean more more often than not most people are listening to you know music through a pair of earbuds or their speakers on their computer yeah um, you don't really see hi-fi systems anymore um, yeah those are you know pure audiophile guys that are you know you know my system <laughs> and and typically older yeah, and typically older. I mean, like, I, I have mine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you've got to have money and you've got to have like a reason for wanting. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And then the, the best, I guess, the best car, the best system that most people have would be the car. Yeah. And luckily, that's a great place to reference mm -hmm. all your mixes. Yeah, yes, it is. I get um, with my demos i did a set of demos a while back to just try to get gigs and i i actually had a studio up in dc we had we actually had tines in he's i don't know 10 20 episodes ago we had tines from district district entertainment studios come in and we talked about recording studios and he actually mixed those tracks for me for computer speakers to mm. kind of be optimized for that because yeah you figure you're emailing like a bar and the manager is going to listen or the booker is going to listen to like 15 seconds through their phone yeah. or the computer. Like I wasn't trying to like promote people, normal people to listen to those songs. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it is just, to, it's totally different. I hate when people listen to your harder, your tracks that you've worked so much on and they, they listen through computer speaker and just like, <laughs> Oh, yeah, well, you're not or, hearing this song as I intended at all. Yeah, yeah. Or in general, any of the, you know, whether it's 
iTunes or YouTube or whatnot like that, they're generally listening to an MP3, not a WAV file. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's like, ah, uh, there's so much information that's lost. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well. Yeah, I find it, it also informs my composing a little bit because if I know the bass is more filtered and more in the sub range, I either know it's not going to be audible on those pods or, you know, on the computer speakers, um, or I'll be layering a more mid range sound. So I make decisions, you know, based upon those, those listening situations. Right. You mean you're actually like essentially doubling the baseline, but an octave up so that you can hear it. If you had good headphones or good speakers, you could hear the sub. If you don't, you could still hear that kind of mid range version of it. Yeah, or distortion or something to make it poke poke through a little bit. Right. That's a good idea. Are you still performing? A little. Um, I have, you know, a couple different projects that I, I perform uh, under. One of them is called Zero God with an X. It's uh, uh, like a play on words because the, the vocalist is Musashi Zero. Okay. Um, and then Panther God, so collaborative, you know, project. Um, that we do about four or five times a year. And then, uh, I do a couple Panther God gigs a year and I'm going to start DJing a little bit. So yeah, I try to do it semi-regularly. I'm more of a studio hermit. Right. Uh, I've almost never really feel comfortable on stage. I always feel that whole imposter syndrome really right. gets me. Right, right. Like, I don't know what to do up here. Like look the other way, you know, (laughs) I guess I'm doing a good job. (laughs) Yeah. I I spent 16,000 hours on what you're hearing, but please don't look at me, you know? Right, right, right. Yeah. 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 How about you guys? Are you performing out? Joe, you perform all the time. Yeah. I'm, I perform a lot. I played 135 shows last year. Wow. Not as much as like, like last week we had Dustin. guy I know Dustin Furlow who I think he said he played like two hundred and thirty. Yeah. That's a lot. That's I mean, that's getting into it's two thirds of the year. You're playing like four nights a week, basically. I'm more of a like two to four nights a week, you know, it gets it's usually more in the summer, less in the winter. Yeah. Gotcha. And I don't perform at all anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I I basically once I had my kids, I was like, okay. I can't do that for a while now. Uh, you play. You played a couple shows with me. No, I know. I do. I, I I get that. I understand. But <laughs> in all reality, no, I don't. I don't perform yeah. anymore. And I. I just don't. I don't. I don't enjoy the performance as much as I did when I was a younger guy. Yeah. I, I enjoyed going out at night and doing that whole thing. Now it's like. Yeah. Oh, I. I don't want to be at a bar or any place at two in the morning. I'll be right. I'll, I'll be right here at two in the morning, yeah, you know, yeah, doing, yeah. composing and, and, and doing stuff on the computer. But yeah, uh, no, I, I enjoyed it while I did. And maybe I'll get to it at some point in my later life, but right now I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm there too. <laughs> Do you have kids? No, but yeah. um, you know, I have a serious partner, girlfriend yeah. and yeah. If I was single, maybe I'd play out more. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. No, I, 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 I would. <laughs> yeah. If I was uh, doing this on my own, I'd be out yeah. doing all kinds of stuff. Yeah. yeah. 
and even through this podcast, like like I was telling Joe at the beginning, the, the guy we had with the guy we had on last week, Dustin, uh, he was talking about something called concerts in your home. I was like, man, I wish I would have known about something like that mm. when I was younger, because it'd be nice mm. to be able to just go to people's houses and just perform, yeah. and have actually have a good audience. I got it. Good idea. With what you do, Paul, I feel like your music, you could go, I feel like you could make so much money going like to, I mean, you could start at University of Asheville, but like the college scene, I just think of like these, people want DJs at those things. It just seems like it would be, I think my band got pay, paid a thousand bucks to play at a fraternity alumni thing. It was, I don't know, five years ago, we like, cool. they have big budgets yeah i mean campuses have huge budgets too in general yeah but then you know fraternities and sororities there are a lot of people who i would think would kill to have stuff like your your panther god at their party yeah you ever wanted extra cash i've explored a little bit of that um you inevitably are going to get the play the pretty light song and it's like right i'm not pretty lights i'm not actually really a dj i'm i made all the stuff you heard and i have a limited number of tracks i can pull from in the moment um so you kind of yeah it it can be hit or miss for me on that stuff especially to be honest like i really want to do more of the paul abdul stuff uh live and it's funny because kids are getting down with that sound, like they're they're studying and doing homework to lo-fi hip hop. Yeah. Um, and it's it's kind of blown up on YouTube. So I find that there's this younger audience that is really, really getting into the slow, very, very chill uh stuff that I'm into. So I'm kind of excited to explore some of that. Yeah. No, after listening to a couple of of tracks of just that the paul abdul yeah uh, i i definitely enjoyed it i I, thanks man i know that joe has discussed a couple times on the podcast about how he'll take something from the past and then throw a cool beat underneath it to make it a little bit more modern uh Mm -hmm. and it's that's exactly what you're doing to a very to a very good skill like you're you're thanks you're not you're doing a lot with it and it sounds awesome (laughs) thanks man yeah yeah you're Um, actually helping to revive some of the greatest music ever made is mm. how i feel about mm. it like thank you for doing hey, that for yeah. sure yeah hopefully people will hear it and then also uh get back into 50s jazz ballads too and uh discover new music through it so yeah. there's little snippets i don't know if you notice there's little snippets of interviews with jazz musicians in it i've got mm-hmm. sun raw sunny liston and Miles Davis, uh, as well as Robert Frost at the end. That's and awesome. so that's going to be a theme I'm uh, going to continue because this is the winter album I just put out. It's named after a Robert Frost poem. Uh, it's called Promises to Keep. Um, it, not the name of the poem, but the name of this EP. And then I'm going to do a spring, summer, and fall follow-up. Awesome. So that's the, that's the goal. That's cool. That's that cool. Is- that is awesome. Well, hopefully you don't get more than 50,000. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. Right? I'll deal with those lawyers when I have to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I will say, though, that 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 opportunity, that lost opportunity, it really made me think, oh, man, you know, what what is possible? Like, if somebody wanted to license a track, 
I, I'm thinking that I would hire, I would hire like the best pianist, mm-hmm. upright bassist, yeah. and drummer, and maybe try to recreate some of it sure. if needed. So, yeah, it'd be you fun. Could, yeah, right. You could team up with somebody and, I mean, write a jazz track, like yeah, yeah. make make an arrangement of your own, and then just boom, there you go. Yeah, like it doesn't <clears> have to be like the greatest jazz track ever but if you had a a strong melody and then you put you know a very modern groove behind it yeah that's that's what aaron was saying i i like to do i'll take a miles davis tune and put in my looping system i i can pick a hip-hop setting and within that i have like 12 different options and i i will actually put i'll play miles davis over hip-hop live yeah and if i'm at like a bar or something a brewery I'll play the same song at a more jazz oriented thing, a retirement home, whatever. And I'll put a jazz groove behind it. But yeah, people will be like, I really liked that song. What was it? And I'm like, yeah. that was Miles Davis. And yeah. Like, oh my God. I thought I didn't like Miles Davis. Mm-hmm. Well, no, they just didn't like, they didn't like that style of drumming and bass playing is more yeah. likely right. what it was. The, right. the melody was always good. Right. Yeah. They're, they're, they're into a more modern sound and that's okay. That's, that's yeah. Yeah, totally. And that's that's a lot of what I've always loved about hip hop is, you know, there's so much jazz in hip hop that's being sampled, um, but you're not limited to to that either, like folk music, world music. And so it's kind of the filter through which I can discover all these all these other sounds out there. Yeah. Well, uh, we've I've really enjoyed having you, Paul. I'm oh, glad thanks. Yeah. Made this work. Uh, yeah. I thanks think for, I brought shoot, up, thanks for shooting me that text this morning because I yeah, was no like, I literally woke up and it was like, oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> and there was a snowstorm. By the way, it's it's been snowing this whole time. It's like ten degrees out. So oh, it's, wow. I looked outside and I was like, okay, I'm going for it. I'm yeah. not missing this, you know. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. Uh, where can we go to find out more about you, Paul? Um. I guess just, you know, uh, check out that, that Paul Abdul record. It's on Bandcamp, P-A-U-L-A-B-D-U-L. Um, and then Panther God is something you could Google. Paul Abdul is not something you can Google. <laughs> um, but, yeah, those would be the best places. Excellent. Yeah. Thank, thank you again for, for joining us. Hey, thank you guys. Yeah, and appreciate it. Appreciate it. And all you guitarists and other pianists and other instrumentalists out there it might be worth your while to get a hold of a synth and see if it can uh, spur some new creativity it might get you out of a lull um, maybe listen to some music you know listen to Emerson Lake and Palmer and like it'll be some nice you know normal fairly normal sounding classic rock song and all of a sudden there's this like awesome Keith Emerson Moog synthesizer solo in it. Like it might inspire you to do new things or take a different approach to writing a song. Yeah, many of the things that are that you've heard before, I'm sure you've actually heard a synth at some point. You just may not have known it. And and like yeah. Jeff said, I definitely recommend just to go out there, even if it is just a free plugin. Um, go out there and get your hands on uh, on a synth. And just play around. They, yeah, they, they are amazing. They are very enjoyable, and you can get lost in them for hours. Uh, I know I have. 
and they do. They they create inspiration for certain ideas and things to come along. So yeah, yeah. Th- think of it like a new instrument, and be and be pa- patient as yeah. well. Like if you're a guitarist, you know you put a lot of time into learning that guitar. It takes time, so you know be patient with yourself and have fun. With it. Yeah, awesome. Well, uh, y'all have a great week, and uh, we'll be in touch. All right, sounds good, guys. Yeah, thank you. Same way. Bye. Bye. Bye.